Welcome to Chatsunami. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Chatsunami. My name's Satsunami and joining me today for this action-packed special is none other than the Kung Fu Master himself, Craigie C. Craigie C, welcome back. <laughs> it's me, it's me. I don't look at explosions. It's Craigie C. I mean, you do a wee bit. Come on. I do, yeah, actually, yeah, they're quite scary. Before we get into this episode, can we talk about something important? Would like to tell the listeners what arrived at your house today for Amazon? No, I would not. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, speaking of explosions, in fact, no, I'm going to let you explain to the listeners because I'm tired of justifying my <laughs> misfortunes, okay? You go for it, Craig, you see. So my memory's a wee bit blurry, but what happened is... It's a buckery. <laughs> Last night, Satsu messaged me saying, let's get this funny thing I saw on Amazon, and it was Exploding Kittens Minions Edition. And this is where I remember get a wee bit fuzzy, because I'm sure he said, like, Craig, there's nothing in the world that I want more than, <laughs> than for you to send me this right now. <laughs> so I bought him it, it turned up today, and let me tell you, it's absolutely beautiful. I mean, it's beautiful, but my red panda lawyer will be in touch with the restraining order. <laughs> He's drafting the documents as we speak. So by the end of this episode, you'll be freshly served with a restraining order never to bring minion paraphernalia across my <laughs> threshold. <laughs> Thank you very I'm much. I'm declare it at customs. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, sir, what is this? Oh, it's just a banana. You sure it's not a minion reference? Oh. <laughs> yeah, speaking of explosions and minions being as far away from the topic as possible. Today we are indeed going to be talking about something that you and I of course share an interest in, that of course being action films. Now I'm not talking about, this was a question that you had before we started the episode, like are we going to include films that have action elements or anything or are we going to go for just full on punching and shooting and you know the kind of stuff your parents wouldn't want you to see of course. But yeah, that is indeed what we're going to be focusing on, we're going to be focusing on the pew pews, the Bang Bangs and the, I suppose the Evies, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> the Ouchies. Yeah, today we're going to be asking one firm question. That question, of course, is how to keep Craig away from my house. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, today we're going to be asking what makes a good action film? What is it about a good action film that separates it from the rest compared to a bad one? And of course, you know, we're going to be showing our work. We're going to be talking about our good examples, our bad examples. And yeah, before we go into it, Craig, what is your experience with these kind of films? I love action movies to the stage that i have pretty much exclusively watched action movies my entire adult life <laughs> i love action the sillier the better if you ever go to the cinema and you see a trailer for a movie and it's like the rock and he's he's in the jungle because it's always he's always in the jungle and it's like the rock's in the jungle and he's just barting guys and you're like who is this film for he's already been in five other movies in the jungle it's me i'm the target demographic and i will go see that film every time you're one of the main problems of society right I am the reason that the cinema doesn't move on. <laughs> <laughs> You're the person that Stanley Kubrick talks about in these speeches. Uh, he's never made a good film, though, so... <laughs> 
<laughs> no, I'm just giving it to you. But the one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and that wasn't Terminator before you ask. <laughs> yes, that's another controversial director we won't be touching. I oh, know we will be touching on his films, jokes aside. But yeah, I suppose I'm kind of the same because you and I were both born in the wonderful decade of the 90s and we very much got the, I don't want to say leftovers, that's like unfair to say, but you know, the kind of carryover from the very heavy action of the 80s films, you know, you've got your Predators, your Commando, your, oh, just so many, I mean, obviously you're not so many Arnold Schwarzenegger films, but you've got your Rambos, your Sylvester Stallone films. I was going to throw a bone to Steven Seagal, but I will leave him to the side. No, I'm leaving them to the side. We will pick him up. We will pick him up after we're done. He's got a juice box in the corner. We'll leave him. We'll leave him. He's playing guns. He's playing guns in the corner. We got a lot of exposure to those kind of films, especially Terminator as well. How could I forget that one? But you know, those kind of films that defined the 80s and then when the 90s came along, they kind of copied it. Some successful, like some absolutely trailblazers, others maybe not so much. But it is amazing, isn't it, that how prevalent they were during the 80s and 90s, weren't they? Yeah, and I think part of, um, when you mentioned all the Arnie and Stallone films, I think one of the big things for me growing up is that me and my family would go to like a lot of like um, car boot sales and markets and stuff like that and a lot of other things. We'd just buy VHS copies of Arnie films because I loved action movies. Probably watched them a bit too young, but <laughs> that's all right. We've all been there. We've yeah. all been there. <laughs> and yeah, it wasn't really till the later noughties that action movies started getting... There was that period. I always think of like the Batman trilogy, the Christopher Nolan ones, where action movies were really out of fashion by that point. It was all that sort of dark, gritty action people wanted to do. I and mean, it wasn't really until the Avengers movies started coming out again that I think action became more popular again. But obviously, there's still great action movies throughout that, that period, but like the, the mainstream kind of moved away from it for a while. I think it was seen as quite old-fashioned. But yeah, in the 80s and 90s, they were everywhere. And that's great. It is crazy to think, though, that, uh, as you said, by the time the mid-2000s rolled around, I mean, there was a lot of guff. Like, I'm not saying that the 90s and 80s are absolved of this, because you had the Hulk Hogan saga... That's like silly fun action, but you wouldn't watch it going. In fact, let me backtrack. You know those compilation videos of like top 10 fight scenes, and you know, it's like all these classic kung fu films and all these classics, things like that. Have you ever seen Hulk Hogan on that list? I wouldn't like to answer the question. I rest my case, Your Honor. (laughs) Rest my case. Yeah, it's crazy to think that during the kind of mid 2000s, or rather early 2000s, I should say. Because was that not the time there were films like Charlie's Angels and, you know, like the reboot one that was awful? And don't get me wrong, I know that obviously they were going for a certain demographic with those kind of films, but it was almost kind of lazy action that wasn't... And again, obviously, mileage may vary, but there wasn't as much of a drive in some regards for these kind of films. Is it right in saying that Hollywood is always trying to evolve and chase the latest trends? Like, I think we're kind of reaching the end of the superhero trend. Superhero films are always going to continue, but I think people nowadays are probably getting burned out with that, so they're looking for maybe the next thing to move on to. Yeah, they're always going to chase these trends, and I think yeah, action was just kind of out of fashion, and the action that was in fashion was very CGI-heavy, very like, I'm thinking of the original X-Men trilogy, definitely mileage may vary, and then Terminator 3, that's kind of that to either as well. You know, you get all these just really CGI-heavy, and that was pop- CGI was 
popular at the time and I think that's kind of what people were pushing. I think the action movies took a bit of a hit because we can all think of at least one or two really weird CGI moments in an otherwise normal film. <laughs> like The Mummy Returns, of course. The yeah, Scorpion King. Yeah, that. I was going to say film, but I'm choking on that word <laughs> to describe <laughs> that effect. <laughs> <laughs> but you mentioned Hulk Hogan, so just quickly to pivot onto another wrestler turned actor, the, the Rock. And when he first started acting, he didn't get a lot of action roles. And a part of that is just because there wasn't any. So he was uh, Scorpion King and he went and did a bunch of like comedies. And that was what was in at the time. Like action just was not in. He would have been given action roles had there been any. But yeah, who knows what the next trend will be. So we'll always have the 80s and 90s action movies to look back on. Because I mean around the kind of 80s and 90s we also have I suppose it's right to say we also have like international cinema that slowly made its way over. You know you've got the Kung Fu films of you know like Enter the Dragon, Police Story, things like that. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon of course that's the other like famous noticeable one. But it does seem weird how although those were getting popular and you know even films like The Matrix started copying us aspects of that into their own film. It is quite interesting to see how they have adapted over the years and there's definitely a shift in the way that they're made because have you ever seen this? This is kind of slightly off topic but have you ever seen people on YouTube make contemporary trailers for older films? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know the the idea, yeah. Yeah, like it does fit but there's something in the back of your brain you're like, I mean this is working but why is it working kind of thing? First of all, let's start with a positive let's start with a high but what is one of the things that you would say is most important for an action film to work because don't get me wrong there's like a broad range but what's one of the main ones you would start off with okay so right i've got a list here in front of me and right at the top of my list muscular people I am not joking. Not just in the sense of muscular, but like the Hollywood action star. That is, to me, the pivotal thing of action movies. I guess, sorry, Hollywood is probably unfair, but the the action star. So I know you're going to mention, I will mention as well, The Raid. Even in that film, the guy's in incredible shape. And honestly, I think that's a huge part of it. There are some films that flip that. So you do get films like Harry Brown, the Michael Caine movie, where he's like an old geezer killing people. But typically, I think a really good action film, you've got people in incredible shape and I don't know why but I think that just activates part of your lizard brain and makes you want to see what this freak of nature can do and I think that's why Arnie was so popular it's why Stallone was so popular it's why Marvel was so popular it's why Henry Cavill keeps getting employed Yeah, there's definitely a type. I do see what you mean. I think it's more the case for Western films rather than, you know, maybe like Eastern action, whether that's from, you know, like with The Raid with Indonesia or Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon with China, things like that. Because it seems as if over there it's more focused on the character. Whereas, don't get me wrong, you do get... massive disagree. Look at Bruce Lee. Look at the size of him in his films. (laughs) Okay, okay. No, well, I will say that. Going back to what you were saying, they are definitely a lot leaner, but I do have one caveat there, and that is an actor, I don't know if you've ever seen him in any of the films, his name's Sammo Hung, and he was in the, I mean he's been in like a lot of films with actors like Donnie Yen in the It Man films, and he's been in a couple others that are escaping me right now, but he is a very portly guy, he is quite rotund, but see at the same time, Jesus Christ can he move, not 
to put him down because he will put me into the grave. But <laughs> he is like a very spry and he can actually move really well and things and that. You're always going to get exceptions to the rules. Like I said, I did mention Michael Caine, but there is a there is a thing that you need. But no, I totally agree. See, when you think of, and I'm thinking of the bare basic traditional action film, like your Arnold Schwarzenegger's, your Sylvester Stallone's, you know, the big muscles bulging, the big chiseled jaws coming out the poster. You have to put on 3D glasses and not get poked out by it. <laughs> I totally agree with that. There is that expectation that, I would go as far to say as it leads on to the next thing, that you want a strong character for your action leads, your diehards or your Terminators or, you know, things like that. You want a character that, even though he goes through hardships, he or she is resilient. They're always going to fight for whatever cause they're fighting for. And I mean, even in other action films, like, especially going back to some of the Hong Kong films, like Police Story, I don't know if you've seen that, but this kind of leads on to my next point of the choreography. I feel as if it's like a massive thing. Like, would you agree with that? Yeah, but I'll, I'll, I'll touch on the strong thing first, just because I want to, I think that's funny. One thing I think makes a really good action film, and I've got that here, lead character, but a particular lead character being quite simple. So you don't particularly want a complex lead character. I think in an action movie, having them be very much, I have a problem physically and emotionally, I've overcome that problem by the end of the film, I'm a better person, is the way to do action movies. And yeah, there's definitely other ways to do films, blah, blah, blah. But the classic action movie, The Matrix, starts off a very normal person, and by the end of it, he's incredible. I think that's the key to doing action movies, because the more complex you try to make that main character, the more you take away. And also, I think having side characters who are interesting is very fun as well, but I think as far as lead characters go, you keep them very simple, and yeah, that strength of will is actually usually what gets people interested in the film. But as you're going to go into choreography, that is, I think, maybe the most important part of any action film. And one thing, and I was talking about that dead zone of action movies and sort of the noughties, and one problem I think happened during that was people got so interested in that like shaky cam effect if you remember that every action movie had to have super tight shooting everything's shaking you can't tell what's going on and I feel like that choreography was really lost and then there was an early sort of 2012 kind of time they started trying to bring it back and you got a lot of far away shots in action movies the two that stick out in my head at the moment Pacific Rim and Skyfall both did it where they had an action sequence with a very plain backdrop I think in Skyfall it's like plain lit it's right at the start of the movie he's fighting like a sniper they kept the camera very zoomed out for that and Pacific Rim did it as well where it's like no we're showing you all the action and I think that's what you need when it comes to these great choreography fight scenes uh, Into the Dragon it loves its fight scenes it drags about it's got very few camera cuts during a lot of the big fight scenes it's like no no you this is what you're here to see watch it in the raids the other one there's that fight with it's the two main characters fighting the bad guy and they zoom the camera out for that and there's a long long shot of the three of them just fighting that choreography is so so good in that film and that's what makes that film but wasn't for that choreography, that film wouldn't be nearly as good. This isn't an exaggeration. You know how people say, oh, a film changed my life and everything. This film actually changed the way I saw action films. And I honestly, ever since I saw The Raid and by extension The Raid 2, I cannot watch like another action film again without comparing it to the type of action that they portray in that. Because obviously there's a lot of martial arts, I think it's Sila, that they use, you know, like a very aggressive form. But they never do this, I mean, maybe once or twice, but they never do this whole get your camera up the main character's backside and cut every two minutes. You know, it's like the worst example of this and I was howling when I found this out, but you know Taken, that series. Oh, yeah. So you know how they had three films? They had Taken, which is considered to be quite a good action film and it does have a lot of good 
action, but then you had the sequels, which were just horrifically bad. And I remember in the third one, there's a scene where Liam Neeson is trying to escape the police, and he jumps over a fence, but it cuts like yes. five or ten separate times while he's climbing a fence. It's like, there's no need for it at all, but maybe he couldn't get over the fence and they just cut it. I don't know. <laughs> but it's just, it's such a weird cut. They could have like cut away and then shown them over the fence, but no, they had to like cut with him in different shapes on the <laughs> fence. It's like, what is going on? But you're completely right with films like The Raid, another one I absolutely love, Ip Man. That's one of the other ones that really got me into it, where there's a particular scene where the main character is fighting against 10 black belts in karate and he uses his Wing Chun to like defeat them. And it is just such a, I mean, that goes into the trope, mind you, of like, oh, one person at a time. But there is a moment where some of them do gang up on them and it's just done so well. Another one, of course, is Police Story, which is one of Jackie Chan's, I don't want to say first films, but it's relatively early in his career. My God, see the choreography in that. If any of you action fans haven't seen Police Story, go and see it. The action, and again, I'm not advocating for this, but the fact that at the very end, he jumps down this, it's like a massive pole in the middle of this. Oh, have you seen that? What I love is, see for the ending of Police Story 1 and 2, they show you like kind of behind the scenes footage, and I shit you not, the amount of times you see a clip of like Jackie Chan just surrounded by paramedics and him <laughs> lying there lifeless, you're like, is this supposed to be entertaining? Because you know how you watch him in like Rush Hour or any of those films, and he's like laughing and making all oh, upbeat jokes, and this one, he is dead <laughs> on the ground. And they're like, oh, um... <laughs> Whereas, yeah, when you get action scenes like... I always remember watching The Chronicles of Riddick and nearly getting blinded because it was just so dark. I mean, another example, although technically it's not a film, but you know like how Game of Thrones did it in one of their season 8 episodes where it was just this? Yeah, the visibility. Yeah, just there's a lot of films like that recently. And, of course, by extension, shows that seem to do that. I don't know, like, do you think it's just a confidence thing? A lot of films don't have confidence in their choreography so they think okay let's make it as dark as possible and let's cut it as many times I think they're trying to be stylistic because one of the films I had down here and I wasn't too sure if it fully counted as an action film or not but Scott Pilgrim and it's got fight scenes in it especially at the end and they are very 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 basic if you just to look at like the choreography you know none of them people in that film are martial artists I don't think I could be wrong someone's going to be nice to be like no they're all amazingly trained but, um, but they made, said made the fight scenes very stylish so they have like things coming up all over the screen and you know effects and blah blah and obviously you can't do that in Game of Thrones but I've never felt like beforehand Game of Thrones had a problem with fight scenes so I, I don't know I think it's I think it's people trying to be stylish and not doing a good job of it if I'm being totally honest another thing I would say as well is whether it's the director or the choreographer whoever's responsible not utilising their action stars correctly so for example and this is a very this is where I've got to be in my bonnet here but I've always Watch the behind the scenes of when I did the episodes with Adam on The Raid and The Raid 2. We looked at the behind the scenes stuff and it is amazing the dedication, the effort that they do. They have to move the set as they're fighting and everything. You know, it's like it's absolutely masterful cinema making. But when you look at the same actors, so obviously they've seen those actors in The Raid and they think, oh, we need these actors in our film. And one of the films that the main character and I think it was one of the main villains 
ones out of the raids they got in and they put them into Star Wars of all things and oh, yeah. yeah The Force Awakens and everyone was like oh my god it's the guys from the raid and then they get so they yeah did. they get gobbled up by like a monster and you're like what a waste it's like not using that potential talent because the opposite thing happened in a film I watched recently John Wick 3 where they've actually caught the two main villains from the raid 1 and the raid 2 and they get them to fight John Wick and there's this kind of very respectful you know fight between them they're you know they're trying to kill one another but at the same time they are you know still respectful they're not trying to do any dirty underhanded tactics they're helping them up when they falls you know that's the right way but yeah when you get a film that just totally doesn't use the talent as it were correctly yeah I think a lot of that comes down to directors as well because you see Michelle Yeoh she's in a, a lot of stuff recently and um, obviously Everything Everywhere All at Once she won a lot of awards for that but she was in um, Star Trek Discovery, Discovery yeah. it was cool yeah, and she barely got to do anything in that. She had like one fight scene, like oh, this, you know, this is what she's famous for. And they went, ah, was the director didn't know how to how to shoot it because it was like really she never really got to you know show that aspect. And I think I think I think it's difficult to shoot action when you're not used to it. Yeah, no, I would agree with that because people, especially action fans, are gonna tell when action's done right and action's done like horribly wrong. As I said before, with the early Hong Kong films, like with Police Story or even with Terminator too like especially because I know Terminator technically is an action film and that as well was like a near perfect film but I feel as if they ramped up the action for Terminator 2 so obviously for the sake of this argument we're going to focus on that but you know you can tell when a director is putting a lot of love and attention into the action and I think that kind of leads on to the point of treating action as a necessity rather than an accessory yeah 100% we focused a lot on like the choreography of the sheer fighting but just when you're talking about treating action with respect Mad Max Fury Road I think is one of the best films ever made that's obviously there's no fighting with fists in that I don't think I don't think there's, oh, there's a wee bit but you know it's all the car chases that's like the whole action sequences for them and that's all done for real and so the choreography of that and the expense of that so there's like they got in these circus performers there's a really famous scene where there's these guys on like these big polvo pogo things and they're trying to get onto the cars and they're swinging over and that's all real and the risk associated with that and the attention to detail of doing it real and not doing it CGI is I think incredible and like you say it's, if people treat it correctly and, and put that passion into it and George Miller did a really good job of that film it's one of my favourite films there's nothing in it but these ridiculous action sequences and people love it because it is just real and you can tell it's real and I mean the great thing about the way the action is especially in Mad Max Fury Road the way that the action is portrayed is done in a way that gives everybody a chance to shine you know is it like is it Charlie Theron she is a very strong and capable character you get to see her I think she was also in was she in a film called Atomic Blonde I think like she was yeah I was trying to remember that when I was doing research for this episode I was like oh yeah she starred in that film and yeah I went to see that in the cinema with a friend I was like oh amazing and the things you forget but <laughs> I think that is one of the beauties of action I know we talked about a character that is simple but relatable but one thing I want to add to that is you were talking about of course it's usually the stereotype of like the strong muscular man that goes to save the day and everything but something that I found really interesting is especially recently there has been a shift towards more female centric action heroes now, obviously there's Atomic Bond and Mad Max Fury Road but one of the other 
other ones that I was actually really surprised at was a Vietnamese one that I found randomly on Netflix. And my friend and I were like, oh, yeah, let's watch this. What's it about? And it's kind of the opposite of, well, not of Taken, but it's a similar premise of a woman who's living with her daughter in Vietnam and her daughter gets kidnapped. So, of course, she goes to hunt the traffickers down and everything. The action is fairly decent in it. And obviously, you're not just thinking, oh, female character, go there. You know, you're just seeing it as just this amazing action film and this idea that as sappy as it sounds you know, oh anybody can be an action hero until you get to Steven Seagal but I will come on to him <laughs> no I just leave him in the corner I don't know because I have seen speaking of Taken clones I've seen his Taken clone I don't know what the hell it's <laughs> all about there was like <laughs> shamans chanting and him running out of breath <laughs> Real quick, can I, can I clarify something? See, when you say Taken clone, you mean a Commando clone, yeah? Oh, sorry. Oh, aha, uh-huh. yes. Okay, that's fine. Just making sure we're all on the same page here. The Commando was the original it's Taken, you know, stole. That's fine. Yeah. Just, just so we're all on the same page here. Well, all I can say is, did Liam Neeson rip out a car seat? He couldn't. Couldn't have tried. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Neeson, we love you. Please don't <laughs> Yeah, it's just it's going back to that point of the uh, silly as it sounds to say, actions for everyone. I feel like this is going to become the ragging on Steven Seagal episode because I have my next point written down here. Just Steven Seagal <laughs> in capital letters. <laughs> Good slash funny dialogue, in particular one liners. I said before we start recording, I had something dumb I was going to say. Do you know, I thought the muscle men was going to be the. Standard... <laughs> oh, no, that was. Oh, so I want to clarify. I didn't say muscle men, muscular people. Oh, muscular people, sorry, sorry. Thank you very much. No, good dialogue. So, I have... I have a statement to make. Oh, no. Michael Bay has too much talking in his films and not enough explosions. I hate how right you are on that. <laughs> <laughs> because everyone wants to argue, it's like, oh, Michael Bay. But like, every Michael Bay film, I'm just thinking of, like, Transformers off the top of my head, there's so much bad, long dialogue. And then comparing it to something like The Avengers or Bullet Train, just thinking of those off the top of my head. Or The Raid's actually a really great example. If you keep the dialogue super short, we don't need to know a lot. Actually, probably the best example of dialogue in an action movie, Die Hard. It's quick it's witty there's some funny jokes that's all you really need you don't need to be explaining the whole backstory of everything I feel like Michael Bay always does this and it's another reason I'm going to rag on Steven Seagal because he's never had a good one later in his life sorry mate <laughs> his delivery's terrible compared to Arnie but I think that's why the 80s action movies got so so popular it's just like people love the stupidity of the dialogue like you know everyone, everyone's got a million Arnie quotes for every day I looked up a list earlier I think it was like Empire's Magazine's top 100 action movies and it's top like things was like the year it came out starring actors and its most famous quotes. That's what people care about when it comes to action movies is the, the dialogue. No, that is a fair point. This is going to be my controversial take and I don't know how you'll feel about this when I say it, but that is almost how I feel. Maybe not for the first John Wick film, but see for every other subsequent film after John Wick. I feel as if at some point, obviously you need a story and everything and they're still great films. I'm not going to hold that against it, but I feel as if for that, they do try to invest you in, like, the lore of the world and being like, oh, the high table and oh, the assassins of long ago, and I'm just like, 
let's face it, the people in the audience <laughs> are sitting here. They're not sitting here for the rich, deep lore of John Wick. See if you are. See if you're like a John Wick aficionado. Please reach out to me and say, but <laughs> I am 99.9% convinced that you're only there for the amazing action and Keanu Reeves, of course. But, you know, I, I'm only convinced because the action is amazing in that. The action is fantastic. But then you get slow plodding, welcome to, you know, this place and oh, welcome to that. And you're like, ah. like the actors are great. Don't get me wrong. The actors are absolutely fantastic. But I'm going to be honest, like, I mean, do you watch John Wick for the plot? Or? You're not there for the articles. You're there for the action. And I, I totally agree with you. It's a fine line, I would say between getting a one-liner and then getting like a manufactured over-the-top line, if that makes sense. Oh yeah, totally. It's a James Bond aficionado. And let me tell you, there's a lot of them that are very bad. <laughs> I, I suppose that's the case for, and if I may reference the Timothy Dalton era, I always remember there's one particular scene, because his two films, and again, check out the Chatsunami episode for the full opinion, but his films are very much action-oriented as well. He is, by all means, an action hero compared to, like, a spy in that way. I mean, he is always, but in this particular set, and whenever he has a one-liner, nine times out of ten, like, in the Living Daylights, his lines are really good but in I think Licence to Kill it almost felt as if in one or two moments they forgot to put in the dad joke and then they were like oh shoot we forgot it let's put it in so like there's a scene at the end where someone gets impaled and I think it's a forklift and then he says something like and I'm convinced I'm convinced this is dubbed he says something like oh he didn't get the point or something like that and you're like what? <laughs> <laughs> it's like you've never been like this and then all of a sudden you're like oh James Bond joke, go and throw that in there. The best one for me is always uh, GoldenEye where Xena on the top gets crushed she's like attached to helicopter and gets crushed between two trees or yeah. something and Piers Brosnan just looks at this woman getting like getting her inside ripped out he's like ah she always did love a good script. <laughs> <laughs> Like, come on, man. Jesus Christ. Psychopath. I mean, it's like, oh, God, I, I've moaned about this in our Pierce Brosnan retrospective episode, but there's a scene in Die Another Day that's just filled with dad jokes. I said it in the episode, I'm saying that again. I am convinced a person with a fetish for dad jokes wrote this film because there is just so <laughs> many of them. There's literally one where he's escaping the North Koreans and he grabs a bell, you know, and he watches his hovercraft go over and he jumps down and he goes, saved by by the bell and I'm like who are you saying this for? <laughs> there is nobody around. Are you sentient? Do you know the audience is watching? Like what is going on? So I'm actually glad you brought up Die Another Day though because that's actually one of my points in here and I mentioned I've got Die Another Day down as a film in the good category here. Go on. <laughs> Fight scenes in, in action movies in general where people take a beating and you can see it. I think that's really important. A film where someone looks different at the start and they do at the end is really important to action to make it land. We were talking about the Dungeons and Dragons movie beforehand and I was trying to think back about that and I can't remember I can barely remember anything about it and part of that is because the characters remain very static throughout the film well if you think of Die Another Day they have the fencing scene which is the, the fight scene where they both start off in the full fencing armour and then like two minutes later they're both punching each other in the face and they've lost all their clothes and stuff and they're all tattered and cut up 
obviously the best example is Die Hard. You know, he starts off in his full clothes, but he's got no shoes. He's got a gun taped his back and all, all the bright stuff, the, the iconic imagery from that. But I think that's another super important thing is to show that the people losing the fight over the course of the film. And I think one example I want to use isn't actually from a film, but from a game is the Batman Arkham Asylum games. So when you start the game, Batman looks incredible. And by the end of it, he's all tattooed and his cape's missing stuff. And I think that's just like such a great storytelling device. And when movies do that, I just love that. Like the end sequence where the hero wins and they look like they just barely made it out alive. And it's something like a lot of films, particularly like ones with The Rock, like he doesn't let himself look that vulnerable. And I think he misses out a bit on that because like a vulnerable hero, they just barely scrape by is kind of amazing. No, 100% on that one. Because although we said, you know, you want a character that is relatable and I'm not exactly saying you're watching The Rock and going oh my god he's just like me you want as well that relatability in the sense of you want a human and I feel as if when you look at superheroes in particular because that's a good point when you look at superheroes like Batman or Superman like even though they do take a beating that's kind of one of my main issues and I think it's The Dark Knight Rises where Batman essentially gets his back broken but then some guy in a cave is like don't you worry I'll sort out that broken back <laughs> and he like twists his back and like oh you're good to fight Bane at the end and everything and then you're like I know it's a superhero film you want to have the big man to man super villain versus superhero fight and you have to find a way to get him back in the fight but again it kind of suspends that disbelief and don't get me wrong it's a guy with a mask and a giant bomb in the city like you're not gonna think oh it's a realistic thing but when you see things like that you think oh the superhero's gonna win it's a bit like you know when you watch Dragon Ball compared to literally any other show than anime. I thought you meant Dragon Ball Evolution movie that I was about to pop off oh, and yeah. talk about this finally. <laughs> <laughs> That's next week's episode, don't you worry. <laughs> yeah, the fact is, you know the superheroes, are rather the heroes, are going to get a power-up. You know oh, they're going to get stronger and they're just going to defeat them without any issues. Whereas for films like, again, I know I keep going back to like The Raid, Ip Man, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, you know, especially those kind of films. But, I mean, don't get me wrong, as you said, Die Hard, Terminator as well, where Arnie nearly gets blown to pieces at one point. You've also got other ones like Hard Boiled, Nowhere Man, you know, those kind of films that it begins with someone who is clearly capable, but there is that evolution. Unlike a certain Steven Seagal who looks as if he has just gone to the shop between takes and he doesn't really look tired. Probably has, to be fair. He probably has, to be fair. He probably has gone to the shops between takes, man. He's taking his time. At least with Taken, like Liam Neeson, <laughs> at least looks battered and bruised by the end, even though he's kind of a superhero. But you, you want to see the hero prevail at the end. But yeah, it's I completely agree with you, though. It's definitely that progression. You know, you don't want to see the hero lose very often. But that actually brings me on to one of my points about the idea of the villains in an action film. Do you think they're important? I think it depends. So obviously a great villain can be great, but I would argue that I think most villains in action movies aren't so important. And I think if you look at the sort of history of the Marvel movies, just to use them as an example, they really suffered because they started churning out all these origin stories and the villains kept getting killed off at the end of them and they went, oh my god, we've not got any villains now to be recurring characters. And you see that with a lot of superhero movies, especially I think like Arnie movies. I couldn't name you the villains in most of them. Obviously then you do get these iconic villains so like Terminator, Terminator 2 and Terminator 1 obviously. So I think it really depends on the type of action movie you're trying to make. If you're just trying to make Al 
Ajax is cool and here he is for the first time, then your villain can be terrible and you can get away with it. Even, for example, Mad Max actually is another example. Like the villain and that's kinda cool, but you see him twice. He's not really like the big deal. But then if you're trying to do something where you want the villain to be kinda cool, you know, you like Terminator, aliens. I don't know if that really counts because they're not really villains, are they? But you know what I mean. So yeah, I think it kinda depends on what kind of action movie you're making. It depends on how important the villain really is. No, that's a fair point. Because you can get villains that are very memorable, but yeah, at the same time, you don't really treat the villains, not always, like in the case of superhero films, you obviously treat them a wee bit more with the reverence, but I mean, even with Die Hard, you've got Hans Gruber, the classic archetypal figure of, oh, I'm going to get you, John McClane, and then he eventually gets them, but a lot of the time, the villain is treated more as like an obstacle, rather than, you know, it's like it's the thing that the superhero or the hero in general has to overcome. Other than Mad Dog and the Raid, going back to that, like I can't remember who the main guy is that controls the whole apartment block. Let's face it, you're there to see the main character fight his way up and you'll know, survive these horrific conditions and everything. And then you get to Mad Dog who, I have to say, I feel as if the henchmen are always a lot, or not always, but usually a lot more memorable. Yeah, you always get the weirdo henchmen that get the massive fight scenes. Because I feel as if James Bond's popularised that for every Blofeld you've got like Jaws and Odd Job and <laughs> people like that. I mean you can't have the main villain without their support I suppose their posse. Yeah you always got to get some heavy that gets battered in the end. Indiana Jones loves a bit of that as well. Ah yeah, that is true actually yeah. I really need to do watch those Indiana Jones films. <laughs> it's funny it's just I was actually thinking when you when you're asking the question about the villains and one that popped into my head not quite an action movie as such but Star Wars the first one New Hope I would call that an action movie just because it was very simple. If you think about just Darth Vader and that, he's just like on screen like five times and he's this weirdo guy that chokes people. Like that's kind of his whole, like that's it. That's all you get out of him. It's not the whole Anakin Skywalker, you know, none of that's been written yet. And you think how great that movie is and what all that all led on to. Yeah, you really don't need a good villain. I've got one final point. I think to have a good action movie, you need to have a good amount of cheese and or guff. Your film needs to be slightly bad. <laughs> <laughs> no action movie ever made has been consistently good, right? There needs to be something that makes you chuckle or roll your eyes or be like, that's ridiculous. And that's what makes the best action movies. One of my favourite films ever, Hobbs and Shaw, Fast and Furious and Hobbs and Shaw, is full of stuff like this. One of my favourite sequences is the bit where a helicopter hooks up a car and is trying to pull it away. So they make a chain of cars to keep that helicopter on the ground, without the, so to keep that car on the ground without the helicopter pulling it away. And then the rocks are the back of the car that's getting picked up. The chain snaps, but the rock wants to keep the helicopter there, so he grabs the chain himself. Bear in mind he's not Captain America, he's just a bloke. And he pulls a helicopter towards him with by flexing his bicep. And is it that? point I went this film's incredible 10 out of 10 <laughs> but no matter how good an action film is like this is kind of what I said about the cheesy the cheesy one-liners as well I think every action film whether that's the arm going through the office in Pacific Rim hitting the Newton's Cradle which was done uh, with like practical effects whether it's all the, the weird bantered and bullet train whether it's the weird faces in Terminator 2 or the smiling scene where they're trying to teach him how to smile all these things need to be in an action movie to make it good otherwise you've just got a normal film with action bits in it an action movie needs to be cheesy or have some element of stupidity in it or guff and 
that is my final point for action movies. I do agree. I feel as if, and this would be sitting on the fence here, but I feel as if the balance has to be there, much like the dialogue, because there's two particular movies I'm thinking of that maybe take the action and the, you know, the action and the dialogue maybe too far in the opposite direction. That, of course, being the Expendable films, which, to be fair, that is just, I suppose, a love letter to all these action stars of, like, the 80s and 90s and such. But there's another film, I actually don't know if you've seen it. I actually completely forgot about it until one of the scenes emerged and the recesses of my repressed memory, but have you seen the A-Team remake? Yes, yeah, I actually don't know if we might have seen it together. Maybe not, but that's the only reason I can think of why I went to see the A-Team film, because (laughs) there's a particular scene in that that, while cool, it's like they drive a tank in the air. I knew you were going to say that. Yep, that's the one. (laughs) It's like, this is so ridiculous. Is this the best thing ever? (laughs) Or is it ruining the film? But then again, I don't think that kind of scene could ruin the film, could it? Obviously, you go any bit too much is too far sometimes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're right but I will mention one real quick thing Expendables movies because you brought them up number one and number three not great number two it's totally different in tone and for some reason the person making it knew they were kind of rubbish and it's almost like a parody of action movies and I think that film stands out compared to the other two so if you haven't seen the Expendables just go watch number two because it's it's almost its own film and I think it's so much funnier than the other two it really benefits from the good amount of cheese yeah that is fair again when you get the self-referential action films like that's a whole other boatload of tropes and things like that but with the Expendables I think it is just slightly on that cusp if that makes sense. I mean for the most part it is leaning into the parody side because you've got the Chuck Norris scene. Is is it the second one? Uh That's the second one yeah yeah. that's kind of what I'm thinking of there's a bit as well where Arnie turns up. And he's back yeah oh god yeah forgot about that and that leads me perfectly to ask the lovely listeners if you have any particular points that you think either makes a good action film or you think maybe detracts from a good action film then please feel free to reach out to us and let us know. Please note though that the answer Steven Seagal will not be accepted because we already know that makes a bad action film but um, Steven Seagal please don't come after us. (laughs) What was that film where he was on the train? Was it Under Siege 2? Under Siege 2. (laughs) Well, hiding that, because nobody knows the layout of that. (laughs) (laughs) You could be hiding and catering and then end up in the engine room in the next scene, so... Sorry, I just want to real quickly bring... You mentioned the... I wasn't going to bring it up. You mentioned the film. Under Siege 2 has the single worst fight scene I've ever seen in a movie. It's the final fight, and they've obviously filmed it and then sped it up, because everything looks out of speed, so obviously he was going so slow, so they just hit fast forward on it. It's incredible. That is the bad type of bad <laughs> but on that wonderful Stephen Segali <laughs> thank you Craigie C for yeah joining me today to talk about action films you're welcome I'm off to go pick up Stephen Segal from the corner see you later yep okay <laughs> and as Craigie C goes to do that and thank you you have custody for the weekend <laughs> thank you all so so much for listening to this episode and yeah please feel free to reach out to us and tell us what you think about action films are they your favourites what are your favourite tropes please feel free we would love to hear from you but if you'd like to listen to our previous episodes can do on our website podspage.com forward slash chatsunami as well as all good podcast apps such as Spotify and iTunes I'd also like to thank our amazing patrons who have been supporting us Robotic Battle Toaster and Sonia 
yeah, thank you so much for being Pandalorian patrons. So if you'd like to check out our exclusive content, then you can check us out there. But until then, stay safe, stay awesome, and most importantly, stay hydrated. And don't look at explosions. This episode is sponsored by Zencaster. If you're a podcaster that records remotely like me, then you'll know how challenging it can be to create the podcast you've always wanted. That's where Zencaster comes in. Before I met Zencaster, I was but a naive podcaster, recording on low quality, one track audio waves. But with Zencaster, you can kiss those fears goodbye as they provide crystal clear audio and HD video. Plus, with our all-in-one podcasting suite, recording with guests is extremely simple. From local recordings to post-production, Zencaster has it all. Go to Zencaster.com forward slash pricing and use my code CHATSUNAMI. You'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. I want you to have the same easy experience I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story.